0: Uh, awesome, awesome job everybody serving last weekend and uh, let's just keep this going all year long, amen? Go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to Matthew 20. Uh, we're going to be talking today, uh, again as uh, Dwight said, our series this, this month is Anyone Can Be Great. It's from a quote by Martin Luther King, anyone can be great because anyone can serve. And that's a, a, a direct kind of reference to Matthew 20 we're going to be looking at a little more deeply. And, um, you know, really, again, really appreciate Mark, Sajimoto, appreciate all the HOPE coordinators for each community group. We're going to be hearing from a couple more of them, uh, two, three more of them next uh, week. Uh, but we just thought this was good stuff, you know, to spend, spend some time talking about this because it's so important. Um, today's sermon is, is called The Definition of Greatness. The definition of greatness. And uh, we're going to be looking a little more closely at at Matthew 20. But um, I remember as a kid dreaming about being great someday. I was into, uh, I liked to draw, I enjoyed art. And uh, I remember I would make a, a, a picture for somebody and they would say, Oh, I'm going to keep this so someday when you're famous I'll have this picture. And, you know, I'm like 10 years old or whatever, so they were, uh, of course, kind of joking and, and being nice to me. But, you know, I kind of almost took it a little serious, serious, you know. Okay, maybe someday I could be a famous artist. And uh, maybe you were like that. I remember I, I got a little older, and then um, uh, junior high, I started collecting comics. And so then I wanted to be a, a famous comic book artist. And I remember dreaming about maybe someday moving to Los Angeles. I, I lived in, uh, I grew up in Colorado. Because Marvel Comics headquarters was in Los Angeles. So someday I'll move there and be a famous comic book artist. And then uh, I got a little older and uh, got into music and started writing songs. and, And I remember dreaming about being discovered. And, and be, getting a, a record deal and people, you know, spending a bunch of money to, to put out some music. And and uh, I remember kind of dreaming that we actually got together with some friends from my high school. And we, we talked again about going to Los Angeles, where all the record labels were. And, uh, you know, here I am, uh, uh, almost 40. I'm a little past the, the, the rock star prime. I ended up in Los Angeles, but I'm not a comic book artist or a rock star. Um, other, than, other than at preteen camp, to the preteen girls, I'm a rock star. I get, I get to sign a lot of autographs. But, um, but you know, may, may, maybe you had dreams like that growing up, uh, dreams of becoming somebody great. And we love those stories of somebody who goes from ob- obscurity on to, to greatness. Uh, remember the, the story of, uh, of the, the woman from Scotland? What was her name? I went on uh, Britain's Got Talent. I have it written down here, but I can't find it. Susan Boyle, yeah, you remember that? Uh, everybody's seen that video. Why do we like it so much? Just, somebody from, went from nothing to being great. And the, I, I saw this on the news a couple, a couple weeks ago, This earlier this month, uh, this guy with the golden voice. Have you guys seen that? I'm going to show this to you. If you haven't seen it, here's a clip. Hi. Who has survived some bad times and he's come out the other end, and he's been walking around with something of a gift for years, which you only know once you talk to him and heard his
1: voice. Tonight, Kevin Temple picks up the story of the man with the golden voice. Just another panhandler by the interchange, but he signs said, "I have a god-given gift of voice." So the reporter from the Columbus Dispatch rolled down to the media. Oh, say something with that bright radio voice. When you're listening to nothing but the best of all these you're listening to Magic 38.9. Within hours, we <laughs> <laughs> more than 5 million hits on YouTube alone. I shoot a lot of things, and uh, nothing's quite stuck like this has. The man in the video is 53 year old Ted Williams from Brooklyn, New York. Homeless 10 years. He says he always wanted to be a broadcaster, but. An alcoholic, drug, and two other things that became part of life. Cleaned out for two years, Williams says he somehow ended up living and begging my Columbus Highway. But no more. But but there, the name of the we did more. Perfect, man. From the side of the road to inside the studios of local radio. Where many comments offer Williams employment. We would like to offer you a voice package of up to $10,000 contract. Even a mortgage. I just didn't know if anything could guide would have? One call came from 150 miles up the highway from the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers who offered him a job. We loved his voice, we loved his story, and our biggest priority right now is just to get him in here. Some people say London is a highway. Well, for the moment, anyway, Ted Williams is in the fastback. It's like zero to 100 miles per hour in about a second. And we'll be back more right after these words. And
0: with a promise like that, no doubt, he will. You know, we love stories like that. Don't you love seeing stuff like that? And uh, it's so cool that the voice that comes out of that guy... uh... Thank you for, you know, thank you for checking in with us. But... um, We've all asked ourselves that question. Why am I here? Why was I put on this earth? What, what's my purpose? You know, we all inside want to be great. We all want to make our, our mark. And uh, when we're young, a lot of times we have this optimism and we have this view. The, the future is wide open. And then sometimes as we can get older, we can sometimes slip into bitterness because it didn't work out the, maybe the way we wanted to. I remember reading a, a play in high school called Death of a Salesman. And uh, the play's protagonist is himself obsessed with the question of greatness, and his downfall arises directly from his continued misconception of himself. At age 63, as someone capable of greatness, as well as the unshakable conviction that greatness stems directly from personal charisma or popularity. And if you know the story, it's such a sad story. He's so consumed with greatness, and yet he, he missed it, and so he ends up so bitter and so unhappy. So many end up that way because they don't understand true greatness. They don't understand the true definition of greatness. And how about you? Do you want to be great? Don't you want your life to count for something? In Matthew 20, we're going to look at a story where Jesus talks about this idea of greatness. And we see a whole different view of greatness than we see in the world. Let's uh, let's go there and uh, let's say a prayer. God, thank you for speaking to us through Jesus and through his word. I pray as we open up the scriptures right now that our hearts would be tender and that we would be receptive to whatever your Holy Spirit wants to to say to each one of us today. Thank you that you do give us greatness, but in a way that's different than our sinful nature wants. And thank you that you meet our needs along the way. And thank you that you, you, you meet us where we are and you help us and you have a dream for us and that you believe in us. Thank you that you love us so much, God. And I pray that you'd be with our, our look in the Scriptures right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. It says, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, just to give a little context here, they're on their way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Galilee's up here, Jerusalem's down there. It's about 68 miles by foot. So it's not a short trip. And uh, they're on their way and he tells them the third time that he's going to be killed, that he's going to suffer, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be flogged, he's going to be crucified. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, he knew exactly where he was headed. And he knew the suffering that would be involved. You ever know that you've got pain coming? Maybe it's a trip to the doctor or a surgery or some procedure. You know, you know it's almost worse than the pain itself, the anticipation. And it blows me away that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to go through. In in another uh, one of the books, he even mentions he'll be spit on. He knew he would be spit on. He knew he would be flogged. He knew exactly what Roman flogging or scourging was all about. He he was anticipating that. And he's trying to explain to his people what's going on. And, And they knew something was going on, but they didn't understand what was going on. And you see that it's amazing the contrast. You know, he's talking about how much he's going to suffer hey can do we get to do we get to be number 1 and number 2 i remember uh, this, this movie i liked when i was in high school called the three amigos this little kid goes you know goes can i have your watch when you are dead <laughs> you know it's kind of like that hey can i what, what can i get and they don't understand it, and they had a misconception about the kingdom. They, they thought that the Messiah was a, a, a person who was going to establish an earthly kingdom. And he was going to be a, 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 an earthly king. And that's why so many people didn't understand Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. And he's a spiritual king. And so, but they knew something was going on. They knew the timing was about right because he keeps talking about how he's going to be killed and raised from the dead. They, 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 they know something's going on. So the, their mom comes with this request. And I love that, that it's, it's their mom. In Mark, the, the parallel passage in Mark, it says that the two sons had a request. Uh, Matthew's written about 10 years later. So it adds in that extra, well, it was actually the mom. And to me, this is the type of stuff that proves it's evidence for the the, the authority of the New Testament. Because if these guys just wrote, made up all this stuff and tried to put something together, they would have painted themselves in a lot better light than they did. I mean, here's their mom, even, coming to Jesus with the request. Can one of my boys be number one and one number two? And he says, you don't even understand what you're asking. And it's interesting, he says that... uh, he, he talks about drinking the cup. Are you able to drink the cup? The cup, drinking a cup, is a, is a metaphor that's used a lot in the scripture, and uh, it, it, it's used several spots in the new, in the first century. When a woman and a man were engaged to be married, it was a binding engagement. It was it was just as binding as marriage is for us today. They just didn't. They, they just didn't. Uh, cohabitate yet, but they were bound together. Like when Joseph and Mary says they were engaged to be married, it's a binding relationship, and they would seal that by drinking a cup. They would both drink from the same cup. There's the cup of bitterness used in the Bible. Like, you know, you ever drank some really awful medicine, and you're just looking, how much is left of this? I think of that when I think of a bitter cup, that you're trying to finish it. And, uh, and and so he, he's asking them, are you able to drink this cup? In other words, are you going to have the same level of commitment as I have? Are you all in? Are you sold out? Are you 100%? He's asking the guys. And they say, yeah, we're, we're, we're all there. And Jesus says, you will drink the cup. And in fact, uh, James was the first of Jesus' followers to be martyred in Acts 12. And his brother John was boiled in oil, but he survived, so he was placed in exile on an island and lived to be about a hundred. But they both suffered greatly for their faith. But he says, this is not for me to grant, only for my Father in heaven. It's interesting that Jesus, uh, even himself, even being God in the flesh, he defers to his Father. He's a great example of submission, saying this isn't this isn't mine. This is, this is God's arena. I don't, this is not for me to grant. And we can want control. We can be so arrogant. Jesus is a great example of humility in, right there. And he talks about worldly leadership. He, he says, you know how the, 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 the rulers of the Gentiles are. They lord it over each other. You know, worldly leadership is all about what can you do for me? How can I get glory based on what you're doing? And if you think about your office or, or your work environment, it might be like that. Your school. You know, people are all out for themselves in so many cases. I remember my uh, old career. I, I worked uh, in, in a corporate environment for about six years before I went into the ministry. And, and there was so much of this jockeying for position and, and for power. I remember those who were in position, you know, the high up corporate positions, they really sacrificed everything to get there. The, the guy who was the president, he, uh, he, he was from Texas. His family was in Texas, and so he would work here. Long hours, stay, stayed in a temporary housing for, for years. And then he would go back on the weekends and see his family. But he was just completely devoted to this corporation. The number two guy was very similar. Long, long, long hours. Uh, super uh, invested in that uh, um, in, in that company, and he would do anything to advance, uh, his company. And I remember seeing him later, years later, after I'd gone into ministry, I saw him at a, a, something from my school. And it was a pretty big company when I'd worked there. It was a thousand plus employees, a billion a year in sales. But I saw him at this event for the school, and he was just kind of an ordinary guy. He was actually with another woman. His family, his marriage hadn't worked out. He was with a younger woman, and there to see their kids do a play. He just seemed so small. Do you know what I mean by that? Seems so like he was so impressive in the work environment, and he just seemed so small, and it it told me something about worldly greatness. You know, it really doesn't matter. You you can be master of your own little pond, but in the big scheme, it, it doesn't really worldly leadership really doesn't get you anywhere. And he says, "This is not the way it's supposed to be with us. We're not supposed to be like the world. Our our." Uh, culture should be different. The way we structure ourselves should be different. And he says, instead, whoever wants to become great must be the servant. Whoever wants to, to be great must be a slave of the others. And I like that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't squash their desire to be great. The, the other guys, are, they're mad with them. Why? Are, are they mad because these guys are so unrighteous and they're concerned about their pride? And, and where they are spiritually, what do you think? No? <laughs> they're just like, hey, how come you first? What about, me? it's just like my kids. What? They're, they don't even care until somebody else gets it. You know, it's like when one asks the other to play with something, and then the first one, oh, now they're going to play with it. You know, it's kind of like that. that they're, suddenly, it, it, they're like, oh, man, they're indignant with them. But Jesus, he doesn't squash that desire to be great. Why? Because I think we all want to be great. And that's not a bad thing. But he just says, here's how you be great. Here's what you do with that desire to be great. And this is good for me because I'm, I'm by nature a, a prideful person. You know, I, I, I'm by nature, I, want, I, I like the praise of man. I, I want to uh, be lifted up. This is in my sinful nature. I'm always fighting that. And so this gives me something really practical that I can sink my teeth into. Because if I just keep telling myself, don't be prideful, don't be prideful, don't be prideful. You know, it's kind of like, don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. I can't think about a pink elephant. It, and, and, and it doesn't really help you. But if I think, I got to be aggressively humble. I got to put others above myself. I've got to be a servant to these people. I've got. How can I meet their needs above my own? How can I? You know, it's something practical that I can do with my pride. It's a way. Uh, it's, it's a way to 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 to. Uh, Uh, To to actively, uh, aggressively try to overcome that sin and it is a sin of pride in my life and the the powerful thing about this is this is an upside down kingdom this is a, a revolution where you have people who are striving to be great by striving to go down they're striving to go up by going down by outdoing each other in humility that's so powerful and so not like the world It's so not like the world. And and it's a paradox. Jesus says in another place, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. It's this paradox that in order to find fulfillment, in order to find true greatness, you give your life away. What does that mean in a practical sense? What does it mean to be a servant? I think sometimes when we think of being a servant, we think of something that has to be done, but nobody wants to do it, and it's not that appealing. But I think that true servanthood is true greatness and it does bring fulfillment it does bring a correct relationship with other people and it does bring god's approval which is what we're all after i want to talk practically about the definition of greatness and uh i wanted to make something that would be memorable so service with a smile can you guys remember that Service with a smile. Maybe you heard that in, in one of your jobs. I, I remember hearing that when I was in fast food. Service with a smile. And so we're going to talk about this practically. Number one, start with God. Number two, make yourself nothing. Number three, invest your gifts. Number four, look, look to examples. And number five, expect results. This is just a practical way to give service with a smile. Firstly, start with God. God. And I'm just going to throw, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of end here in, in, in Matthew 20, so you can keep your scripture, your uh, Bible there, but I'm going to throw some other scriptures on the screen. John 13:3. we know this story. This is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. But it starts out by saying, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, so, and then it says he put on a, a a, a towel and washed his disciples' feet. He was able to serve in a very humiliating way because he was confident in God, because he knew where he came from. He had the relationship with God. He had the connection to God. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. Service starts with that, with knowing who God is, understanding who you are with God. In, In 1 Peter 2, this is a great text to study on your own when it comes to being humble and serving. In in the first century, uh, a huge... Slavery was in full full force. And and, and slavery was part of the way the Roman Empire worked. And way more more than 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Probably a much larger percentage of of the disciples were slaves. Because that's just the way the economy worked. So I believe God wanted to abolish slavery. And that happened over time. But in the meantime... You know, this is the world that we're in. And so the Bible talks about how to, if you are a slave, what do you do? And in in 1 Peter 2, it's very challenging because it says, Do your best, be your best, even if your, your master is harsh and inconsiderate. That is a hard teaching. I imagine myself, you know, I've had some jobs where my boss was a jerk, where he was inconsiderate. That's very difficult. How do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you do a great job if the person you're serving doesn't deserve it? How do you do that? And, and, and so he, he moves from there in 1 Peter to Jesus. And he says, this is what Jesus did. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus do it? How did he serve people who were so undeserved? He trusted God. He knew God was bigger than the situation. He knew God judges justly. He knew it all comes out in the laundry in the long run. And in this text, in First Peter, he goes on to talk about wives and husbands. And You know how it is sometimes when you know you should do this for your spouse, but you really don't want to because they really don't deserve it right now. And, and, and you, you know what's right, but, but, uh, but, but you don't understand. You know, and somebody challenges you, bro, you really ought to write a card for your, for your wife or, or, or give her some flowers, just say I'm sorry. But you don't understand what she did. You don't understand how disrespectful she is. You don't understand how much she nagged you. And then they go off on all the things she's doing. Well, wait. Okay, but let's put that aside. What about you? What, what can you do? But she, but she. But what about you? You know what I'm saying? You, you, have you been there before? This takes that away. It's not about them. It's about God. It's about doing what's right because you're conscious of God. That's what Jesus did. And in, Peter, in Romans 12, rather, uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, God sees and he knows the sacrifices that we make. When we give of ourselves, when we put ourselves low, when we put others above ourselves, that's the only way to do it and stay you know, in the right frame of mind and not get bitter or not get resentful for other people is it's all about God. It's not about us. It's not about ge- getting thanked. It's not about getting appreciated. It's not about getting a certificate. I mean, I'm glad we gave out some certificates. But that's not. I know that's not why Mark served. Oh, I hope I get the hope of health award, or Hope, uh, Help, Heart of Hope Award. <laughs> you know, it was because he wanted to serve. Why? Because he loved God. That's why we've got to do what we do. We've got to start with God. Some of us don't serve because we're afraid. We don't trust God. We don't trust that he sees the, the big picture. We're like the wicked, lazy servant. We bury our talent because we're afraid. Some of us don't serve because we we, we don't see God in everything. We don't see that He knows and he, He understands everything. Serving starts with your relationship with God. If you don't have a very good relationship with God, if you're not joyful in Him, you're not going to be a servant. And some of us don't serve because we think the person doesn't deserve to be served. Well, thank God Jesus didn't look at us and say, do they deserve it? Because we don't. I know I certainly don't. Number two, make yourself nothing. Philippians 2, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and and he talks about anything good in your life, anything good about being a Christian, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So again, he starts with God. Because of who God is, because of all you've been blessed with in God, now have this posture towards others. And then he says, who being... He talks about Jesus. Same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You know, Jesus... this, uh, I, I did some study of, of the Greek here, and I don't know Greek. I'm not saying that to impress you. There's a website called scriptureforall.org. Scripture and the number forall.org. And you can see all the Greek. It's pretty cool. You see the Greek, and then you see the English, and you can kind of... Anyway, it makes me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning the Greek. But if you read the Greek, this word here, the very nature of a servant... And here, the very nature of God is the same word, and it's the word morph, M-O-R-P-H-E, which is form. You know, we, we, we know the word to morph in, into something or to be transformed is that same word. And, and so he, he is in nature God. He's the form of God, but he took the form of a slave. He took the form of a servant. And then here it talks about human likeness, appearance as a man. That's a different word. He looked like a person. He looked like a regular human being, but what was he? He was God as a slave. He was the form of God and he took the form of a servant. That's amazing, Jesus' humility. You think about how he was born. Think about how he lived his life. You think about how he died. He truly made himself nothing. And this is hard for us. It's hard to make ourselves nothing, isn't it? It requires that first thing, it requires a trust in God to empty yourself. To, 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 to not want to hear your name, to not want to get take credit. You know, I, I remember uh, um, early in my songwriting, um, I would write songs that we'd, be, we'd sing at church, and I, I would want somehow for people to know that I wrote that song. You know, I remember I'd be talking to someone, and we'd just sang the song, you know, maybe at a conference or something. At this point, I wasn't really the guy leading songs, but we're singing songs that I wrote, you know, and... I, I want so much to kind of drop that. Oh yeah, I wrote Be With Me, Lord, or you know, whatever the song. And, and, and I just see that there's so much in me. I want praise. I want... And, and yet it, it requires... It, it's hard to empty yourself, to to be humble first, to put others first. I, I like how he, he talks about taking a genuine interest in others. Look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Do you do that? Do you take a genuine interest? When someone's sharing about their day or about their life or about what they like... It's easy to tune out and kind of be thinking about the next thing you want to say rather than taking a genuine interest. I appreciate Henry, you know, when he talks to someone or he just delights in people. He loves to just find out who they are and what makes them tick and ask them questions. And He just loves that discovery of taking an interest in someone else. Uh, In the home, I think the home is a great place to make yourself nothing. The home is a great place to put this into practice because, you, you, you know, that's where the real you comes out. It's kind of like, I'm home now. So I don't have to give anymore. I've been working hard all day. I want my slippers. I want my clicker. <laughs> I want the couch, you know, and then suddenly there's this need. It's hard. But this is the, this is the place we can make ourselves nothing. There's a lot of needs in the home. Your, your spouse... Your kids. I'm reading this book right now called Age of Opportunity. It's challenging the socks off of me. Because it's so much of, even when we're directing our kids or disciplining our kids, there can be a, a desire to discipline them or correct them because of how it affects us. Like, you're really annoying me right now. I want you to stop this behavior because it annoys me. Not because I care about you and I want to shepherd your soul to heaven. And I want your... You know what I'm saying? There's a difference in the way you're going to approach things. Either either you want, to, you want the behavior to stop because it, it annoys you and then it stops and, okay, good, it's over. Or I really want to, I want to shepherd their heart. And I, I'm just challenged as a parent. As a parent of, of preteens now, you know? Dealing with a new level of things. You can't just give them a spanking anymore. You can't just say no. Why? Because I said so. It doesn't work with a twelve-year-old. You know, you gotta. I've got to shepherd the heart. I think um, with your spouse. You know, think about when you were dating and all the special things you did, and you really made yourself nothing. But it can be so easy to slip into taking people for granted, taking our spouse for granted. And I want to challenge you to make yourself nothing in the home. I think in the small group, in your small group, is another place to work on making yourself nothing. Lifting up the needs of others in your small group. When you think about your small group, hopefully you're in a small group. We, we If you're visiting with us, we want to get you connected to one. Uh, we have those that meet during the week. Uh, but in your family group, in your small group, are you thinking, you think about it in your mind right now. Are you more focused on the needs of the other people in your group? Or are you more focused on are they meeting my needs? You know, that, that is a mindset. It's kind of like you're either here to give to everybody else or you're here to say, what are you doing for me? Okay, I have this need and I have that need. And, and, it, and it requires a, a mindset like, like Paul's talking about here to say, I'm going to make myself nothing. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. I guarantee there's needs in your small group. There's needs for discipling. There's needs for the kids mentoring each other's kids. There's, need, there's needs, it's just a matter of opening your mind to it. And even on the job, think about how can you make yourself nothing on the job or in your school, teens. How can you lift up others? How can you do something in a way that someone else is going to get credit? Where you're going to lift, you're, you're going to make your manager look good and nobody's going to know it was you. God blesses that. That's what it says in First Peter 2. Why? Because God sees and He knows. And it's commendable before God if you do things in secret or if if you bear unjust suffering or any of that stuff. It's all about the next life and treasure in heaven. What can you do on the job in school? What small acts of service can you do? Use your prayer time. I believe God will show you things, ways you can serve if you pray to God about it. Number three, invest your gifts. And and for those of you who are um, maybe a little challenged or I didn't make clear, This is going to spell smile. Start with God. Make yourself nice. Service with a smile. Okay? This is going to spell spell smile. Service with a smile. Invest your gifts. In Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. Now, we use talent as a word for, you know, an ability. Like I can play the clarinet. That's a talent. But talent, when Jesus used it, it wasn't... It hadn't changed into meaning that yet. It meant an amount of money. And so in the parable, the, the, the manager gives his guys, the, the, the landowner, the, the ruler, he gives it, these three different guys different amounts of money. And he says, I'm going away. Do something with it. One of them is afraid, so he buries it. The other two invest it, and they earn more. And so that's a, a story Jesus told, and, and I'm kind of breezing through it because you're probably familiar with it, but it's in Matthew 25 if you want to look it up. But the, the point of that story is, use what you've got. And when you do that... God multiplies what you've got. Um, you know, it's amazing how much you can learn just by investing what you've got, just by doing what you can. I feel like God has has allowed me to to develop a lot of skills, a lot of abilities, not because I'm some wonderful person or or naturally gifted, but just because I've tried to do something and then and you try and fail, and you know, sometimes somebody asks me, How'd you learn to do that? How'd you learn that software? I just tried it. And then I, I read the instructions and it didn't work, and then I tried it again. You know, it takes, you know, you just invest your time, you invest your effort, and you, and you work on it, and then God multiplies your gifts, and you're able to serve more. But we, we, we've got to invest what we have. God has uniquely qualified each one of you. The Bible teaches that there's no one that doesn't have gifts. You think, oh, well, that's, that's you're talking about him or you're talking about her. Not me, I don't have. No, God gives everybody gifts. We all have gifts, so it's a matter of investing them. It's a matter of using them. Uh, in, in, uh, in Romans 12, and uh, in, in... Well, let's look at these two first. 1 Peter 4.10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 12.5, There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Now, there's different ways you can serve. You know, um, when you think about serving, you, you immediately maybe think about being an usher, or serving in a kid's kingdom, or being a sound guy, or whatever. And those are all super important needs. But there are all kinds of different service. You know, in Acts 6, there was a need that was being overlooked... And so it comes up. It comes to the apostles, we, so somebody needs to do this. And so they choose men specifically who had specific gifts to be able to meet that need. Because the apostles said, if we try to do it, it's not going to work very well, because we're already trying to do this. We're already trying to do prayer and ministry of the Word. We've got to stay focused on that. We need somebody to be over this. There's all kinds of needs. There's all kinds of different gifts. And so it's a matter of figuring out, what, what can I do? And I'm not talking about... Um, I'm talking about being a steward, being a faithful steward. See in uh, in, in 1 Peter 4 there? As faithful stewards of God's grace. God has made you a steward. And this word of of grace, in this context, is talking about gifts. And a lot of times, the Bible uh, in the New Testament, it will do that. It talks about the gifts that were given by God's grace. Because we didn't deserve the gifts we have. We didn't deserve to be born in this country. We didn't deserve to... Have so many of the things that we have, and the gifts that we have are, are gifts of grace. So we're a steward of that, and so you're just kind of a manager of the resources God has given you: your time, your money, your abilities, and your and your your gifts. And so you got to think, how would God want me to manage this stuff? So I say that to say, I don't mean you just got to say yes to everything and have no boundaries and, and, and just you know. You've got to serve in every capacity. There's certain people... You know, whenever, whenever time we do those forms where you, you check out different ways you'd like to serve... You know, Jennifer Rusty checks every single one. Because she just wants to serve. She's a great servant, you know. And, and, and she's awesome. But I'm not saying you've got to do everything. You're a steward and you've got to manage. What do you do? Jesus didn't do everything. He washed the disciples' feet. Why? To show that there's, no, there's nothing you're above... But as far as we can tell, he only did that one time. His vision wasn't a bunch of people that all they did was wash feet. It was, it was to, to, to teach a principle of being willing to do whatever, but you got to do what you do well. Jesus was very focused. There were times people would try to get him off focus, and he's like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. This is why I've come. He, he never wrote anything down. He never wrote a book. He didn't go on a long tour. He just stayed in one spot. He chose 12 guys. He focused on them and did what he was really good at to make a maximum impact. And so figure out how has God gifted you? What gifts do you have? And are you using them for your community? And are you using them for his kingdom? You see the needs. I know you see the needs in the church. There are glaring needs. So think, think, how can I help meet that need? Don't wait to be asked. Just do it. Amen? There's no ceiling. There's no ceiling to how many ways that we can serve. And, and even little things, like even not parking in this parking lot, parking on the street, you're serving a guest who can come and park there. And God sees and knows. And, and you can think, okay, I'm a little extra worship as I'm walking, that's my spiritual act of worship. Dying to myself. So a guest can park in that parking lot. Next one, look to examples. John thirteen fifteen Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. That's the context of when he washed their feet. 1 Corinthians eleven one Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, we have so many great examples in the church of people who serve. And, and, and serving is such a way to endear yourself to someone else. Uh, I appreciate... Um, our friendship with the was the with, with Steve and Jackie, who have come in and are leading our family ministry. They came in in the, in the fall. And um, the first midweek we had, um, Steve preached, and he was very vulnerable and, and shared about his life. And uh, then he was getting ready to go, and I was kind of the last one there. And uh, he was like, are you going to get out of here? I was like, well, no, I actually have to. We had vacation Bible school this week, and uh, they, one of their projects, they left a bunch of sticky taste. Tacky, tic-tac, whatever that's called, you know, all over this one wall. So we kind of got in trouble with the facility because they forgot to clean that. So I gotta scrape all this stuff off the wall. And he's like, oh, let me do that with you. You know, and so we're both there with plastic spoons, you know, scraping stuff off the wall. But that made a great first impression. Here's this guy. He's the leader. He could have said, hey, I gotta go. I got things to do. But he was willing to help me scrape stuff off the wall from vacation bible school. And that endeared him to me. I came home and I told Dessa what he did. I was like, I like Steve. <laughs> and you know, we have a lot of a lot of great servants in the in the church here. I, I appreciate I can't I can't mention everybody, but I appreciate Brian Adams and, and Eric Manji leading our CR ministry. That's such an important Ministry. I appreciate the cantuses and uh, leading our children's ministry. That's so important. And all of you who serve our kids. Amen. I appreciate the the team workers, the team leaders that we have. And uh, amen. Um, You know, we uh, we were at the youth ministry night last night. And I appreciate Andy and Karina and their work they do. And Ruben and Marina. It was such an awesome environment at, at youth ministry night last night. It made me feel like I'm so grateful to have my kids growing up in this church. And for all the people that are serving my kids, I appreciate uh, just the years of service of our tech team. You know, Ben and Brian and Sherwin and, and um, Jamie. And these guys come really early. They're here always by 2. Sometimes they get here like 1.30 and, uh, and they're not actually supposed to be here until 2. But they want to come early just to make sure everything's awesome. And, and you know, they, they're married. They, they've got other things. Ben has four kids. You might say, oh, I can't serve. I've got my kids. You know Ben's got four kids, but his kids are involved. They come early. They help serve. They, I'm sure they know how to properly roll uh, roll up a microphone cable. And, you know that's awesome. You want your kids to grow up with that. You want your kids to grow up with serving. And and, and uh, anyway, there's so many people that serve in so many ways. And and I I, I don't want to mention it anymore because I steal your treasure in heaven when I mention your name, and everybody claps for you. But um. But there are a lot of needs. We do, we do want, we, we do need more people to serve in, in the tech ministry. There, you know, there are more, we, we need more people to, to serve in media ministry. I appreciate Vanessa, uh, and, and, and Caesar and others who are photo, photographers and we want to do a lot more with our website. Right now, it's just Sherwin Rusty doing all four of our church's websites. You know, our church, Westside Church, uh, the, the Latin ministry and Greater Long Beach. We need to have a staff. You know, like 20 people doing our websites. Because that's, that's, that's what everybody looks at now. That, that's so key. So anyway, there's, I know there's ways that you can take the gifts God has given you. Just look to examples. And that's one of the best ways to learn is imitate. Look at somebody else and look at their example and follow. Right. Lastly, expect results. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You know, what this is saying is, those who are spiritual help the person caught in sin. Who does that help? It helps the person caught in sin, but it also helps those who are spiritual. You know, when you help someone, it helps you. And so, a lot of results will happen when we're all invested. When every one of us is invested, a lot will happen. God does a lot with that. And this word here for burden, the Greek word is like a huge burden, like a huge boulder. And so we all boulder. And then it says a little later, each one should carry their own load. The word for load is like a little knapsack. All pitching together to carry the huge burden. And what happens, God is able to, to, to do great things. Ephesians 4 talks about that's how the church should be, where the whole church is built up. Because each part is doing their work. Each part is, is invested. Some of us in the, in the church truly serve. But others of us, we kind of just come on Sunday and that's about it. I encourage you to, to, to do more. Think, how, how else can I serve? Because that's, that's the real power. You know, it's really awesome if one person brings seven people to church. But imagine if we each brought one person to church. You know, it's really awesome if one person does a, a whole lot of stuff for the poor. But what if we all did more for the poor? That's where God really... That's the power of the church is where every part is doing its work. Every part is invested. Every part is, is, uh, is making a difference. And so I appeal to you just practically... Think about what are some ways you can serve in in these areas, in the church, in your family, and in your work school environment. Just take a, a, a little bit of time this week to think through those, those areas. How can I serve more? What can I do to invest my gifts in those arenas? We're going to take communion right now, and I want to close with uh, the last part of, of Mark twenty, or Matthew twenty rather, where Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, the truth is, if Jesus hadn't made Himself nothing, we would be eternally trapped. But He paid the ransom. We've been set free by His blood. He started with God. He made Himself nothing. He invested His all, just like we're talking about. And so let's look to His example as we eat the bread and drink the cup and uh, take communion. He truly was the definition of greatness. Amen. Let's pray for communion. God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for Jesus and the way he gave his all and the great example he is to each one of us. Thank you for this time to share the cup, to drink the cup with him, to eat the bread, and uh, to be a part of, of remembering what he did for us. And I pray you bless this time of meditation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.